everybody, and welcome to Shift F1, a podcast about speedy race cars. I am Drew Scanlon. Joining me, Danny O'Dwyer. How are you, Danny? I'm doing very well. I am. I don't know what to do, though, this week. There was no UFC on last weekend. There's no F1 this weekend or last weekend. I guess baseball's back, so there's always that. Should we start a baseball podcast? No. Rob Zachney, how are you here? Uh, not bad. I feel alone. You know what? I'm always up for the idea of getting into baseball. It never actually happens. And <laughs> now lot. that the Cubs are bad again. <laughs> I do love baseball. I love I love going to baseball uh, where at a baseball game, there's like the baseball is ancillary. Like There's a baseball yeah. game happening, but mostly you're just drinking beer and eating hot dogs. I'll even watch baseball on TV and then like fall asleep on the couch. It's great for that. Uh, mostly yeah. I just ingest baseball these days through uh, Dorktown episodes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, SB Nation has... has uh, that and John Boy, who does all the highlights on YouTube. I'm a big fan of his uh, work. It's uh, Baseball is almost the opposite viewing experience of F1, where F1 is... When you go to an F1 race, you are deeply... Like, you're, you're doing nothing until the cars come to your corner, and then you are, like, deeply focused on what's happening. Yes. Um. Whereas baseball, I guess that happens whenever, like, that sound, when you hear the crack, or, like, when bases are loaded and it's, like, you know, late in the game and there's not that many, in so, the, you know. I feel like you need to go to a baseball game with a baseball nerd, and that doesn't preclude oh, yeah. you getting shithouse drunk. In fact, like, probably the drunkest I've been in the last few years was at the um, first game in the Cubs-Dodgers series in 2016 that was played in L.A. Um, like, just... My God, the beers are enormous there. But nevertheless, like the having <laughs> a baseball be. nerd present to like break down the shifts that are happening and the exact logic behind the uh, the batting order moves and the right. bullpen management moves, it does become a really interesting game. Um, the problem is, it still doesn't visually represent all that excitement very well. You know what I mean? Like it's still yeah. like, yep, it's they're under out the there. surface. Yeah, whereas like race car drivers are like, they could explode at any second that's <laughs> going through everyone's mind. <laughs> anyway, this is, in case anyone doesn't know, this is a mid-season episode, I guess, which is weird for right after the first race. Yeah, so we, we were going to have a China race in here somewhere, but that got mm. canceled. So that's why we have a, a, a three-week break. Um, but uh, we're here to keep company if you are new to this podcast a very warm welcome and if you're new to formula one itself um yeah we're in a bit of a lull here but we've got some back episodes for you such as the preseason primer episode which uh will explain how the sport works and who everybody is and uh, assumes no prior f1 knowledge so if you'd like to go back and listen to that it's episode 137 also the show is supported entirely by our audience over at patreon.com slash shift f1 where every month we release bonus podcasts and videos exclusively for our patrons covering racing documentaries and films uh f1 video games experiments with other racing series and a lot of weird things so if you'd like to support the show and get access to all of that fun stuff you can head over to patreon.com slash shift f1 or click the link in the show notes uh what's been going on over in patreon land danny uh, yesterday i took apart my race wheel and brought it into the house it was in the garage so i'm looking forward to getting some videos up for media pass people uh, next week from that uh, of course we have our drive to survive episode one episode two is getting recorded this month so we'll have that up pretty soon uh, for all you folks too uh, and then of course a massive thanks to all of our incredible title sponsors will Rampf, reagan jason kelly jason chadwick umberto roca bailey uh, abdullah althani sam g a circuit demon and the love of my life, Mariana, which is something that I have to say. I'm <laughs> delighted to say. <laughs> but it's not your life. No, it is a, it is a, it is a, a dedication. Uh, I believe a dedication for uh, to a couple who both listen to the podcast and who are currently separated by a few thousand miles worth of ocean. Oh my gosh. So. I'm sure Mariana well, knows who that's you said from. And currently separated, and I was like, but, uh, <laughs> "Okay, yeah, I'm at, well, yeah." There's an extra special tier if you want me to uh, reconnect your broken relationship. Hey, no, that's not what's hey, going on shift here. Shift F1 just... to stand outside uh, your your would be lover's bedroom window with a boombox. Uh, just and, just playing the episode. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's that's creepy now. 
It's it's <laughs> it's crazy how beloved Say Anything is for a movie that like you watch it now and you're like, girl, you need a temporary restraining order. <laughs> but he's John Cusack, so. I, I just have, like, a, a problem with people who, like, play music in public. Like, be it on the train or, you know, even, like, loud neighbors who play mu- music. I try so. to resist becoming that old man, but, Danny, I do fucking hate it. I absolutely Dude, I've been that old man my whole life. I, I live in a busy downtown, and, like, right. I just don't understand, like, why some of my neighbors have to just crank the sound in their car all the way while they unload the groceries so they can jam all the way into their kitchen where they drop the stuff off and then all oh, the yeah. way back out of the parking lot. Headphones? Nah. No. Never heard of them. Uh, well, continuing season, on. baby. <laughs> yeah. We're on break. <laughs> it's got that energy, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, let's let's bring it to the news, such as it is. Um, there's not a lot going on, but uh, I feel like there are some little things in here that can flesh out, um, you know, maybe the uh, the, the upcoming races the the what it what it portends for the rest of the season question marks um we we do a lot of guessing on this show especially in the early half of the year so mm. uh why don't you take this first one rob zachney yeah uh, so helmet Mar- helmet marco uh the head of the red bull racing program has been talking a lot of shit he's got a lot of things to say uh, he always does. and he feels that we haven't even seen Red Bull's final form, and he just wanted everyone to know uh, after the race in Bahrain that you heard those radio messages early in the race where Verstappen was complaining about like the differential didn't feel right, the car felt off. Uh, Marco sort of unpacked that a little bit and said they did have a differential issue uh, in the opening stages of the race that cost about three-tenths of a second a lap, and arguably that ended up being a pretty decisive uh, difference. And so, you know, the the intimation is that Red Bull actually has quite a bit more pace in pocket, um, but it they were fighting a lot of problems uh, throughout the car, because no, throughout the race, because no sooner had they sort of gotten the differential to a decent place than they began battling heat issues. And so they were in constant management mode. However, he also does this thing, and this bugs me, then he turns around and says, uh, you know, I think uh, with a package we have, a very competitive engine, a chassis that reacts well to everything, that we back on par with Mercedes. We, we know now you can only succeed against Mercedes if you act flawlessly. Everything has to be right. And so having said, given all these reasons why they were really fighting with both hands tied behind their back. Um, he kind of walks it back and is like, but you know, you just gotta be perfect, uh, facing down Mercedes. <laughs> like, come on, like either, either own that you're going to kick their ass next time or just take your lumps. That's the fortunes of war. That's F1. Um, but in, instead he's kind of walking this line of, yeah, we, we had, we had a lot more, uh, ammo left in left in the magazine, uh, that we weren't able to bring out. And then also he's like, oh, but we're just a small, scared to take on the Mercedes juggernaut. I'm just a humble Southern racing director. (laughs) Uh, Wow. So what I am wondering after this is like, what is the possibility of Red Bull just running away with this? I don't know. I think it's, I think it's, it's, it's so frustrating that this is that we this is like almost worse than the wait at the start of the season when <laughs> we're know. trying to figure out isn't it because it's <laughs> like now we're like operating on actual data but it's still a sample size of one which does not work in formula one <laughs> right. so even more questions that we had before yeah it's it's i can't see that being the i mean mercedes i know we're talking a lot about how they're not maybe developing the car all that much but like they're going to be developing that car they're not going to let red bull and and like given that trajectory i don't know what you guys think but like that's the thing that we that is sort of like rubber stamped a lot of mercedes success over the past couple of years is that the car at the start of the season is never the car at the end and i think they have that tuned in that ability to get more pace out of the car better than maybe anyone else on the field yeah uh well speaking uh, (laughs) the pitch uh speaking of helmet marco he's got more to say danny yeah, um, I I, I kind of like this um, a little bit because it shows an air, a degree of protection around race drivers, which we don't often see um, 
from the Red Bull family. Uh, this one coming from Autosport, it's basically a story about how Red Bull say they won't burn uh, rough diamonds uh, or they won't uh, burn um, uh, Yuki Sonoda out, basically, uh, especially given the... Sorry, I tried to read out the headline and it confused the shit out of me. Um, <laughs> They're calling him uh, a rough diamond. The coming on a rough, very good. Uh, well, he's yeah, particularly fast rough diamond. Um, coming out of what happened in Bahrain, uh, obviously had a great, uh, steady pace uh, during that race, and also sort of a keen head, didn't get in too much trouble. Uh, you know, battled when he needed to, overtook uh, a bunch of you know world champions. I think it was uh, what was it, cream and strawberries or something. Martin Brundle referred to one of his overtakes on turn one. Um, it was a. Uh, yeah, a, a great drive from him, and this, uh, this I guess, report from Autosport um, saying that uh, they are not interested in burning him out. They are aware of the sort of uh, the what they, what the length of the season, I guess, that's in it, and how they maybe have overpressured other drivers in the past. Uh, maybe this from Autosport, the Japanese youngster marked himself as it is a future star with a great showing at last week's Bahrain Grand Prix. He set the fastest time in Q1 and finished the race in ninth place, having pulled off great overtaking move on Aston Martin's Lance Stroll on the final lap. Um, however, Red Bull's motorsport advisor Helmut Marko was urged caution about such talk, um, despite clearly believing that Sonoda has a bright future. Um, this is the an exclusive video at Autosport's German language sister site, Formula What's Eins.de? Formula Eins.de, I think so, yeah. Marco praised the impact that Sonoda had made, uh, but said Red Bull was ready to be patient. Uh, the way he goes about it, the way he makes the car fly is fantastic, Marco said about Sonoda. He's also a charismatic, funny guy. We're very happy to have him. Asked about the project of 22, 2022 driver Red Bull, he replied, uh, we have the first of 23 races, so let's see how things develop. We have an incredibly rough diamond in Yuki. We're not going to burn him. We will look at the ma- uh, development and then make our decision in a timely manner. Um, how much well, do you believe so, him because they've burned um, three drivers in a row no, this is the most self-serving shit uh <laughs> like because here's the thing i have every confidence in the france toss will do the best thing for sonoda you know what i mean like yeah i, I think yeah. this is the issue is that the problem doesn't come when they're at the support team, the problem comes at the promotion of the main event. And so it's very easy to say, oh, you know, we've, we've learned our lesson and we're keeping with the support team. That's never been where the fault has developed. Like the pipeline is very good up through Tarasso, uh, Alvatari. It's worked up to that point. They've run into issues at the top team with how they develop t- talent. Um, and it seems like it has not worked and the sins have been basically been masked by two things. Has Adrian Newey hacked F1? Or <laughs> do we have a freakishly talented guy like Max Verstappen? Beyond that, I don't think there's a lot of... I don't feel that they've showcased a great deal of ability to help elite drivers take that next step. Once they how, about the, how about the, pro, the, the timing of the move? Because I, I totally agree with you, but also, is there something to be said for, did they pull Gasly up too early, or did they pull any of the other drivers up too early, and was it a case that like Verstappen was just able to play with the big boys, and the rest of them needed a bit more time down below, or not? I mean, I think they probably did. So, yeah, they did promote too early. I think the problem is Red Bull being a self-styled youth-oriented company is predisposed to try to push mm. people to the front like this was it's less remarkable now because they were they were first through the door on this now the entire sport is kind of young guys wherever possible and then really proven veterans um but the red bull program was remarkable in its inception for how aggressively it was going after younger and younger drivers and rushing guys up from uh, support series. They still do when they refer to Verstappen. He always says like, oh, he's going to be the youngest world champion. Yeah. And that's that's very much like part of the idea. And it's it's it really weird to think about how mature the field looked back in like the 90s compared to now. Um, and even then, people were saying, well, it's not like the old days. The guys were older back in the 80s and 70s. Um, so I think to an extent, the fact that we're talking about leaving him on ice for a year and maybe driving Red Bull 2022, that's not that's not patience. 
that's only patience by like the standards of <laughs> F1's like Red promotion Bull. craze. But like right. giving a guy one year in an F1 car and then being like, "We'll we'll see." I think this is part of the problem. Is this whole notion that you have to have an immediate audition year? Like I, I like unless you're ready to go, which not many drivers are. I think it's a little bit closer to like the NFL quarterback situation where it maybe takes a little more seasoning. Yeah, I, I think they did, though, turn a page um, and maybe their hands were forced in this. But like putting Sergio Perez in that seat, I feel like is at least the stopgap that they need. Like it, pl- it the plugs flow, the dam, the hemorrhage. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so just leave him in there for another year and, and you know, uh, cook your uh, your food all the way through and then promote <laughs> Sonoda up when he's when he's ready. I, I, yeah, I I. I hope that they've learned their lesson uh, by now after burning out three drivers. Well, we're going to do a little F2 bit after this, um, just a, a little mini primer to Formula 2 for people. Um, but one of the things you'll notice is that the high-tech team, which is the sort of feeder team for Red Bull, um, has a lot of prospects. <laughs> so they, they do need to start making space eventually, is the other thing. Um, I mean, but, uh, Gasly, problem to have. they have basically said... Gasly's not coming up again. Like if if they right. didn't promote him after that season to Red Bull again, they're not going to. Is my opinion. Uh, yeah. I, so I, I think, think he stacked there now. But he's a he's a great talent. So I think he gets pulled away from uh, from there to another team, and then uh, Tor. Oh boy, uh, Alpha Tauri <laughs> pulls up somebody from Formula Two. Uh, yeah. Speaking of the junior leagues. You got one more here, Danny. Yeah, a bit of good news um, uh, to, to, ra- to round things up. Is this the last story? It's almost the last story. Kind of, yeah. Um, uh, one Manuel Correa, who, of course, if you don't watch F2, was the uh, other person who suffered um, in the horrific Formula 2 crash at Spa, what would almost be two years, two seasons ago, 19 months ago, um, the tragic crash at the top of Eau Rouge, which claimed the life of Antoine Hubert. Um, Correa, as we reported on at the time, was also in a very precarious situation in relation to his health. Um, he almost had his leg amputated at one stage. He was in a um, induced coma, and he's had multiple surgeries on, I believe, uh, both his legs, um, but his right leg was was fairly substantially damaged um some great news a year ahead of how he expected he has stepped back into a uh, formula three uh car um which is wonderful uh, unfortunately it was at circuit paul ricard so we can't you know put <laughs> <laughs> a salt with your sugar there um but uh yeah he's uh he's he's incredibly back in a car there's a, a great screenshot here on the race fans article of him uh, jo- joyfully stepping back into his car with those legs that um were basically useless to him for much of the past two years um a nice little uh note on this as well is that the helmet uh Correa, to quote race fans the helmet Correa is using for his return starting with this weekend's two-day test at the red bull ring incorporates uber's logo in two places Obviously, this helmet is very special for me because it's the helmet I'm going to do my comeback with, said Korea. To commemorate Antoine's memory, he will always be racing with me. Um, glad he's doing well on the physical side. I hope he's doing well on the mental side because there was, you know, that was a horrific crash. And ultimately, ultimately it was his car that was the sort of, you know, that was involved in taking Hubert's life. I wasn't, I'm, I'm not saying there was any faults but you know when people get in terrible crashes like that those types of thoughts um uh can be uh very damaging especially over a long period of time so i hope he's gotten the physical uh sort of support it seems like in terms of his physical um uh getting better and i hope the same was same level of treatment was given to him on a psychological level because Although I gotta say, if you're gonna step back into into an open real car after something like that happens, then you're stronger than I'll ever be. So, um, well, if we've learned anything from like the documentaries that we watched, getting back in the car is one of the best things for these kinds of people, right? Um, and I, he is contesting the Formula Three season, is he not? This is what uh, this means. Uh, yes. I think this is a test ahead of that season, so he'll be driving. Yes, the full it is. Season. Uh, Formula Three starts a little bit later. If yeah. the both seasons are a little bit weird this year, because Formula Two also has four fewer 
well, rounds, but more races. I think um, they're staggering them. So Formula 3 and Formula 2 will not happen ever on the same Formula 1 weekend? Correct. Okay. Um, but what they've done, which we'll talk about in the Formula 2, is they've added an extra sprint race to the weekend. So there's going <laughs> right. to be more... Technically, I think there might be more races because there's eight extra races, but four fewer rounds. Got it. Um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah. But, yeah, you're right. Formula 3 is just about to start. If you're interested in – I'm not getting that deep, but if you're interested in checking that out, I think the Formula 1 YouTube channel put up a video about all the drivers this year um, just up on their YouTube channel. So if you want to take five minutes to check in on some of those dudes, you might be in F1 in a couple of years. Cool. Well – Speaking of other racing series and the beginnings of them, uh, we had a, a very a rare treat. A new racing series debuted last weekend. And for, uh, you know, motorsport nerds like us, this is always exciting. It's like a new, new sport just dropped, y'all. Uh, or <laughs> like... Um, or like in the Olympics when like, oh, what is, what's this? Diving. All right. Time to get really invested in diving for, you know, the right. 30 minutes that this is on. This happens every few years, right? We had it with, uh, well, we had it with Formula E. Mm-hmm. We had it with w the series. W Series. Yeah. We had it with, yeah. So it's, yeah, it's kind of, yeah, it's cool. It's always like, oh, in which ways are these different? This one's different in a lot of ways. It is. Uh, so Extreme E had their first round uh, of five, I believe, this year. This is the electric off-road series um started by the same guy who did formula e which is the electric circuit racing series um and it's it's wild uh they actually so as the first round the there were i think some growing pains um i think they got there and realized okay they're in saudi arabia in the desert um and they realized once they got there that oh dust is really going to be a problem here right um because they, I think all the sessions had multiple cars on the course at the same time was the original way that they did this. And then they decided we, we have to change something. So instead of that, for qualifying, they basically did uh, one run time trials mm. in two different sessions and then combined their times. And then that was how they got slotted into the, the semifinal rounds. It was very video gamey. The setup for the quali. It reminded me of like playing. Remember that Baja game? <laughs> not, Rob's nodding. It was like an <laughs> Xbox 360 Baja, like the Baja race uh, game. It's kind of like that. It's like point to point rally style, but like the gates are miles apart from each other, yeah. it feels like. And there's just sand between. And there's like, here's the line you're supposed to take, but like, I mean, you do you, man. Yeah, it was fascinating from the standpoint of. It feels like game designers were the lead on this in some ways, <laughs> yeah. where it's being approached less as, um, which I suppose is true. Like a lot of a lot of autosports have some sort of organic history that naturally led them to this moment. Extreme right. is a very artificial product. Like it is, this is a purpose built like racing platform to do exactly this kind of racing in exactly this way. The conceit of it is that they're going to race at these um, endangered uh, biomes, basically, um, and draw attention to the issues facing them. I don't know that that component of it succeeds. Like, there was a lot of, like, public service announcement type stuff with it that was actually decently executed. Hey, Rob, let me talk to you about desertification. (laughs) Yeah. um, And, like, just the generally, like, the need to switch over to all electric everything. Um, and I will say this, these cars are so fucking cool. The yeah. thing that I have seen very few um, electric cars that have gotten me in my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, like I drove in one of the early Teslas and it was cool and it was cool for an electric car, but I feel like the 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 sheen is off that brand a little bit um, <laughs> because it's become such a, a flawed gadget gadgeting gadgeteer approach to to cars. Um, and then a lot of a lot of electric cars are really practical compacts, just people movers and moving groceries right. around. These cars rule, and like seeing them as in this landscape, my God. The lo- these are the most amazing looking settings for races I think I've seen anywhere. Yeah, like 
it was shocking. Drew, Drew, were you like, were you just dying for like a decent bitrate 4K version of this <laughs> yes. race? Because like I was watching it on cable and I was like, this is so close. Yeah. Yeah, it reminded me, there's a great documentary about the Baja 1000 called um, Dust to Glory. Uh, that's just Ooh. beautifully shot. And, and this, this, yeah, it, it evoked the similar sort of feelings. And just seeing races happen, like, I've tried to watch the Dakar rally. It's really difficult. Mm. Uh, it's it's yeah. all highlights. There's not a lot of stuff that's live. Uh, I tried to watch the World Rally Championship, too. And it's it's hard for me to get into. I know people love it, and that's great. But, like, something about the format of this where, like, all right, we're going out for a qualifying race, and then in the the final races, we're going to have multiple cars on track at the same time. Like, that's way different from the World Rally Championship. Uh, and just, like, the differences in, from Formula One are, are pretty stark. Like, the, the tracks have so much topography. There is one, mm. There's one part of this course that looks like a ski jump. Like, they're going down a 45-degree angle that looks like they're basically falling off of a mountain. Was that where that crash of qualifi- qualifying happened? That was pretty nasty. That was at the bottom of that. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, yeah, there's there's every chance for um, something to go wrong, so you're, you're kind of glued to every minute of it. Um, I was... I was thinking when I was watching that, like, I wish there was more, the cameras, once the car has passed, especially in the three car heats, I guess they had leading up to the final, which was a straight on one-on-one shootout, um, they, every time the cars passed, it was just like a dust bowl, like you couldn't see anything cause, this- or, or sand, but I was thinking, oh, it'd be amazing if you had a helicopter shots, and I was thinking, oh, wait, no, that's the last thing you need in the desert, is <laughs> a helicopter flying over They had drones flying around. Yeah, right. Well, a drone, a drone could do that. Honestly, I think the thing they really needed, and this is probably unique to the desert issue because, like, no other place they're going to race. I like, I don't see this amount of dust or visibility being an issue in this way. Um, but I feel like they needed some sort of, like, thermal imaging component or, or something Ooh. to make these things pop out of the dust cloud. Because, like, in the races, which should be the most exciting part, you could see the lead the lead rider... And then there was nothing. And that is dramatic <laughs> if you're making a Mad Max film. But it's a right. problem if you're trying to follow the racing. But I think it was a problem for the racing in general. Like, yes, these were not good races because everyone else who wasn't in the lead had no visibility and was just trying to not wreck the car. <laughs> um, so you saw Carlos Sainz, the elder. Um mm-hmm. You know, I was sort of, I was sort of laughing at how he just dropped all the way back because that old man is not getting paid enough to die for extreme E. <laughs> like he was like, "Nope, I can't. I'm just gonna wait till the dust clears." And like, so after like three turns, he was like forty seconds back and just like puttering around this track. It was amazing. I saw that um, uh, Button JB was was racing too we should also say was there a 50 50 gender split on this yeah. so there that's part of the rules so okay. um you you do one lap of the course and then you change drivers and there right. is a male driver and a female driver um on each team and you must use both of them uh which i thought was interesting because like there's a certain strategy to that because do you put your um do you put your 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 person with racing experience in first to get ahead uh or this i found awkward um in the racing it kept being all dude lead off fields oh really yeah i guess it was yeah there is a second um strategy though which is they were talking about because um the men are usually larger putting a seat um uh i don't know what you call it a bolster Uh, yeah they yeah. like they had these seat um like uh, plastic frames things for yeah frames that they put on top of the seat when it was time for the the women to get in the cars um but it, they didn't need it for everybody it was only when there was a drastic difference in size because these seats right. themselves do not move so you had to put this insert into it of course so, and they're also getting thrown around <laughs> right <laughs> so uh, apparently it is easier to um ah. to go from larger to smaller because then right. you are only tightening belts you are not loosening them interesting yeah because to loosen the belt you have to loosen and then tighten right that's because there is a because in the pit stop you have to do it quickly there is a minimum time i think of 45 seconds but you still don't want to uh, waste any time 
uh, with the changeover. And I thought it was interesting. You get to watch from the in-car view them doing the driver's switch, and they all have like a different way to do it. And some of them have bungee cords to move the seatbelts out of the way. Like it was that was so cool. It's rad. I love I love how like uh, we were talking about this yesterday offline, but the the idea that this this is just the beta right like yeah this will look so different in race two it'll look so different in season two but it's always fun to watch these early races when they're they really are figuring it out yeah Yeah. i think i think the desert's gonna be a a tricky place for them it might have been the particular quality of the sand where it just blew up into like complete (laughs) dust clouds um (laughs) but it was it, it made the driving a little bit tough. And it did make me wonder if they weren't overemphasizing. Like, they kept arguing, uh, you know, it's it's good to have the driver with racing experience. What they mean by that is head-to-head racing experience. Yes. And a lot of the women in these cars have, like, rally experience where you're kind of, like, solo on the track. So but does was, Carlos Sainz, in fairness. Yeah. Well, and I was, I was sort of looking at it, too, and I was like... I think I might want the person who's used to the low grip conditions no matter what. Like, <laughs> yeah. you'll figure out the racing part. Like, mm-hmm. I think on track, like, racing experience didn't seem super relevant to the skill uh, test that these that these drivers were facing. Because, like, these cars handle so fascinatingly on the surface where, like, they're all just fishtailing and skittering. These cars somehow, like, crab walk across the sand at times uh, yeah. at high speed. It's it's incredible. Uh, so I just I just kind of feel like, I don't know, if I were there, like, after watching that first round of races, I'd have just asked myself, like, who is the best person here on shitty grip conditions and bad visibility? Yeah. And that's, you who, want, that's who I'm going with. You want someone who can uh, get off the line really well. Like, uh, there yeah. was, although I think the first heat, um, one driver got off the line really well, but another one took a different line. So was behind, I think in third place. Um, and this was in the, the Carlos signs, like Carlos signs. And I think it was Sebastian Loeb were contesting into the first corner. Uh, and then another guy, uh, Christopherson maybe, um, was way behind but they got to the inside of the first corner and then took it really tight. And he took a line where he cut behind them, but shot in front. Beautiful. If that makes sense. He yeah. he did the, the um, what do you call it? Not the undercut, but the, like the, the cutback. Which is probably what they want but in these races. But I bet, yeah, like Rob said, the, the sand is a particular sort of nuisance in a race like that. There was, I mean, there was one heat where a car caught another one um but it didn't end well because uh he he caught the other car too good and crashed into it um so that apparently can happen Mm. uh and that's that's another question i had like at this i think the track is eight kilometers long and you do two circuits of it um how do medical and car recovery they didn't show any of that uh i don't know how any of that works a lot of remote cameras too, which makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I think that I think one thing that they're trusting a lot in is that these cars are really designed to just get like hurled into a rock face at high speed and sent bouncing. Like these things are basically like giant roll cages um, with enormous wheels, and like there were some pretty gnarly looking especially like from our frame of reference some gnarly looking crashes from the practice days and like i was shocked that one of the worst ones they were like yeah the crew had that they worked late and the car is ready to race today and i was like it it kind of indicated that the like structurally critical parts of the car are actually pretty safe and then there's a whole lot of that car they can just basically shed um it's a bit of the nascar thing where like there's just kind of skin draped on it yeah yeah one team did unfortunately crack their roll cage uh, in qualifying uh, before even the Jamie Chadwick before she even got to get in the car, right? Um, and had to pull out of the whole weekend. So that's that's a big bummer. Bummer. Uh, How do you watch this thing? Because I only watch the highlights on their YouTube channel. It seems like it's geolocked pretty hard for the US. Uh, I used a VPN and okay. watched their live streams on um, their the archives of their live stream on their YouTube channel. If you're in the UK, I believe this is all shown on iPlayer, so you should be able to just check it out there. Um, I should say, say that watch they, it on cable, Rob. Yeah, watch it Sorry. on Fox Sports. Um, cool. So they're doing. They, they never have worked out worked this out very well. Um, 
they have like Bob Varsha do the like bookends of the broadcast and then it just cuts over to a feed that like the US side has no control or interaction with. So it's kind right. of just Bob Varsha talking setting up the throw to this feed they're getting uh secondhand and then sort of taking us to commercial break. Right. Um but yeah, like I mean it was, it was fine. Like Sky. cable just looks like shit. That's the problem. Is that like <laughs> I have a four K T V and a lot of people do now. And let me tell you, uh cable TV is not really kept up with the increase in like resolution. Just think how the clarity on that fuzz though is just like outstanding. <laughs> I'm not convinced I, that it didn't make visibility worse. It might. Actually it genuinely might. It's like when you plug um old like SCART cables into an L C D screen. It's just you don't you need the CRT wash to give it a give it a nice you know, Vaseline filter. I should note that uh, the YouTube channel does not include the last two rounds, the the final heat and the uh, the final race. Right. So um, I had Power. to acquire those elsewhere. Um. But yeah, I I'm a big fan. I'm extremely. I think the the next one is like in a month or something, uh, or maybe more. They they put it all back on their ship, the Saint Helena. Uh, which is cruising around at eco speeds to bring the series um, to different ports of call. Eco speeds. I love. I love. I just love technocrats. This. Is, oh, yeah. I love the the world we live in, where we've made up terms like eco speed. The, the put it boat. on a fucking sailboat, guys. If you read it carefully. <laughs> right. The boat actually says stenciled on the side, not electric. Dot 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 yet. And in oh, the interview cool. that they had cool. about <laughs> the ship on the broadcast. The uh, the guy said, uh, uh, you know, whoever was managing the fuel for the ship said, you know, we um, we are using fuel, but it's uh, it's low sulfur. It is the champagne of fuels. Oh my god! So. Oh my god! But they're not they're not like flying their cars like Formula One. So the champagne, which is fuel. significant. Like I mean, like getting yeah. people, getting equipment out of aircraft and getting people out of aircraft and onto slower like forms of transportation is is a big deal it would be nice yeah. if f1 had a schedule workup where they didn't have to overnight stuff around the world uh for like fully a third of the races um but yeah like eco speeds you gotta be so wary <laughs> of greenwashing shit like i suspect mm-hmm. what they mean there is the most fuel efficient speed yeah. It's not an eco speed like you're still probably i assume that's probably like a diesel engine of some sort Something. yeah um Probably not. Airplanes go at eco. eco speed. If they went at fast speed, you'd, they'd take thirty percent less time to get anywhere. The idea, but yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. It is, it is a better alternative. Danny, I'm with you though. Bring back square rigged sailing ships. Those things were incredible. <laughs> I'm, I'm all for it. Let's, uh, let's, let's bring them back. Have like electric engines to handle them in heavy weather. But let's just get back to with all the advances in materials. Just imagine how cool those would be. Dude, I was uh, I was watching videos of Bioshock Infinite yesterday. We should just like let's reinvest in just like Zeppelin technology. You know, hydrogen. I know it wasn't great. Maybe we can use helium again. I know it's expensive. Helium's too but precious. Yep. It's uh, yeah, but let's that is just how do they're it. charging the cars with hydrogen uh, on board the ships. Oh really? Yeah. Same way Jeez. they they do uh, the Formula E cars. Um, they sound like Formula E cars too. They do, but they're running over. Uh, dirt and stuff so they just sound like they're ripping it up it sounds awesome yeah. <laughs> it angry. I, don't, I don't miss engines at all so incredible the amount yeah. of travel on those yeah. car suspensions is just did you see the one where the guy lost it and just like because it was in the like they couldn't figure it out it was like might have been the light changed might have been a bit of dust but they got off on the oh. wrong track and just kept accelerating but they were traveling slightly away from the line of the course oh no and they just ended up accelerating into like a boulder field um and just like smashed it hard it was it was brutal uh and the car is fine driver is fine but it was like wow these things can get themselves into some incredible trouble i should mention that there's a lot of formula one names in here uh lewis hamilton and nico rosberg both have teams uh as does jensen button um nico Nico was there in the command subscribe button on it what 
<laughs> Sorry. I think we both went for the Nico jokes at the same time. Rob, you go first. Well, I was just pointing out, Nico was right there in the command center, which was the most esports-looking studio oh, yeah. I've seen in a racing broadcast. Wow. I love it. No, yeah. I was just saying he probably has subscribed to his YouTube channel written all over the car. He's <laughs> wearing a t-shirt. I went for the low-hanging fruit. Sorry. Uh, Jensen Button is actually driving his car, uh, which is cool. Um, but, like, yeah, Carlos Sainz Sr., uh, Zach Brown uh owns one of the teams um yeah a lot of and a lot of just other championships uh like i like i said um carlos Sainz senior has won the dakar rally a bunch of times there's some world rally cross champions in there um it's a it's it's kind of a who's who uh w series champion jamie chadwick although she didn't get to race um it's cool and like one other thing is that the track really does evolve like we talk about track evolution like qualifying and stuff there are like the the lines change because of you know wind eroding the sand dunes and cars driving over and making new bumps and it's wild i i i'm a big fan i'll be watching uh next time let's take it to formula two danny yeah i wanted to talk a little bit about f2 because or gp2 as it was known in a previous uh life um because obviously we had a support race alongside the F1 race in Bahrain. And obviously we have a lot of rookies in this year's F1 roster, which came from Formula 2. And we have had over the years. And our current champion also spent a lot of time there. Lots of other drivers um, did too. So I thought it would be interesting to give a little bit of a sort of a mini primer. I'm no F2 expert. I watched last year's season and enjoyed it. I watched the previous years. I've sort of been warming to it over the years. Uh, but I thought it would be good to sort of, I don't know, set up some some a little bit of an information pop so people can at least get into it. Um, so the races, the format of Formula 2 is that it is a... It, it is a eight round series this year um it was usually 12 they have cut four of them as part as we were talking earlier as part of this whole idea of having formula 2 and formula 3 sort of um almost relay racing support series for f1 so they'll never be at the same spot and uh, it means unfortunately f2 won't be at you know places like hungara ring or the a1 ring where they were in previous years but they they will be getting more races because the thing about F2 is it's not just one race a weekend. It's not like Formula 1 where you practice and qualifying in a race. In Formula 2, you still have qualifying on the Friday. Um, but what that traditionally was uh, then set up was a two-race weekend. One, which was a shorter race called the Sprint Race, and then a longer race on the Sunday called the Feature Race. And for the Sprint Race stage, basically swap the top 10 around from the qualifying times just to kind of mix it up and um, so if you qualify 10th you were in first if you qualify first you started in 10th and then in the feature race they would take the sort of normal qualifying times this year they are adding a second sprint race so there's going to be two sprint races on the saturday and in fact there was already um at bahrain uh the way in which they are doing this is that the uh sprint race one the first one on saturday is a reverse top 10 based on qualifying same as before so if you qualified fourth you'll be in sixth if you qualified tenth you'll be in first all that sort of stuff um and then sprint race two is a reverse top 10 based on the ending of sprint race one so if you landed in 10th in sprint race one then you will start on pole position in sprint race two which i find very interesting because who wants to become ninth in that scenario <laughs> are you allowed to throw positions um, you do get points based on your finishes in those sprint races is that right th- that is correct so they've changed the point system a little bit this year um but the feature race will be 25 points and the sprint races uh sorry if you win them of course um and then it'll go it goes down from there uh, same as formula one uh the sprint races are 15 points each so 15 for pole so you can leave a race weekend with I guess, 65. Is that right? Points? Is it 55 points? Um, so, yeah, there's a lot on the table um, when it comes to that. Uh, and this is, in a part, last year, why last year ended up being so competitive. The sprint races are also shorter, right? They, they, they're they not as long. The feature races have mandatory pit stop in it, so that has more laps in it. Um, 
but the sprint races, as sprint suggests, um, are shorter races where there's no pit stop. You just kind of go for it. Um, and it's cool because it means that there's totally different strategies uh, across all three of these races. Um, the eight rounds that you are, we're going to have, or I guess the seven remaining ones, because we already had Bahrain, uh, are Monaco, Baku, Silverstone, Monza, Sochi, Jeddah, and Yas Marina. So it is going to continue throughout the season um although a little bit more fractured this year than in previous years there's a couple of times there where they're off off the hook for uh a decent amount of time like even now right so it'll be a month between this and monaco um the they are still using the 2018 uh, chassis uh, i think they have another two years left on that uh, 18 inch rims so they're a smaller less speedy version of a formula one car um and it is a spec series right like all the cars are theoretically the same and then the team set them up differently exactly yeah so the 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 body of the car um the engine that stuff is is um a uh one uh, yeah like you said it's it is a a one type of car for basically everyone and this happens in formula 3 too um but yeah, there is differences in how they perform based on how the the, the teams sort of take that. Um, we have thirteen returning drivers this year. We have nine new ones, um, a mixture of fresh faces and people from Formula Three, which is kind of how it works. Uh, you can watch all the races on Formula One TV, uh, all the quali and everything. Uh, but if you're not interested in investing that much time, I would suggest people check out the YouTube highlights because it's basically like extra races too. If you're hanging out on a Saturday waiting for the Formula One race start on the Sunday. Well, you can go watch two sprint races. Um, and it was very funny watching the sprint races uh, in Bahrain because they were basically out there clearing sand off the track for the Formula One race. There's <laughs> quite a lot of dust uh, going on. Um, I want to give you a couple of drivers maybe to keep an eye out on. Um, again, this is where my my knowledge sort of starts to uh, wax and wane just because the the formula 2 stuff i tend to sort of gobble up every two or three months rather than be tuned into it all the time um a couple of drivers this year that are worth checking out uh guan yu joe who did really well last year um he's part of the alpine academy Uh, a lot of people i think this is his third season in f2 he's one of the sort of older heads um a lot of people saying that we might see him in f1 in a couple of years kind of depends how he does this year Uh, oscar piastri is in this year who won f3 last year uh, Theo Porcher is part of ART. Um, he's 17 uh, and another driver that people are expecting very uh, high things from. Um, high Tech, which is, I think, where a lot of the Red Bull uh, drivers sort of come up from, uh, has three really interesting drivers in this year. Uh, my favorite of the bunch, I think, is Liam Lawson, who's a very, again, young driver, an Australian dude. Um uh, Jahan Daruvala and Yuri Vips are also proud of that. I think Daruvala did pretty well in Bahrain. Um, and then in terms of like the front runners, I guess, there's a couple names you might also um, uh, remember. Uh, for ART as well, uh, Kristen, uh, sorry, Christian Lungard, um, who had a decent season last year. He sort of was a bit inconsistent, had a couple of nasty, ill-timed safety cars that ruined some races and then just kind of didn't perform at some races and um, people expecting good things from him this year uh, robert schwartzman who uh, races for prema and um, he was michael or sorry mick schumacher's teammate last year and i think he's part of the ferrari driver academy a lot of people touting him as a possible prospect for a uh, ferrari uh there's sort of a long time uh, you know destiny of him being teammates with charlotte claire at one stage kind of he's another one who kind of this year again they're hoping great things from and then uh, Felipe Djokovic from Virtuoso who had a decent season last year I think um is another one uh, the weird thing was at Bahrain kind of none of the front runners did particularly well actually they're all sort of between 7th and 10th at the moment which you can do in F2 because there's a lot of races right there's two races every weekend um but the uh the winners as it happened were Liam Lawson actually um uh, won the sprint race, the 23-lap sprint race, um, had a great start. Uh, Oscar Piastri won the second sprint race, and then Guan Yu Zhou uh, won the feature race. And the races weren't all that great at Bahrain. Uh, Guan Yu Zhou got pole and won from pole. Lawson was first going into turn one and one. So uh, 
the cars, I guess it's like the fourth year they've been running this spec as well, or the fifth maybe. So, you know, they've also sort of gotten the uh, stability tuned in pretty good. Um, but it was close because uh, Guan Yu Zhou was, I think, uh, one thousand of a second off uh, Christian Lungard for pole. So, um, in quality at least, it made a big difference. Um, so a decent sharing of the points between everyone, you know, as it, as it sort of trickles down. Um, and what you end up having, as we had last year, hopefully, was, you know, going into the last three races, it was kind of like a five-horse race. And going into the, um, you know, right till the end, it was a three-horse race, and then a two-horse race, and then uh, Schumacher um, won it right right, right, close to the end. So uh, it's always a fun series to check out. Uh, and also, just because, you know, they're trying to get super license points, but also just because you win the season doesn't necessarily mean that you will, uh, you will get in. I remember... Um, George Russell won in, I think it was 2018, uh, uh, and he got promoted. And then the next year, I'm trying to remember who it was. Nick was DeVries. This, Nick DeVries won, but it was uh, Latifi who got e. promoted. Yeah. yeah. Who came second. So it, it doesn't necessarily mean... It's all who you, you know, up. baby. Totally. And what driver academy you're part of and yeah. all that sort of stuff. Because some of them, I think I think Felipe Djokovic is is on no one's academy so there's I, I i could be wrong all of this comes with a big asterisk right because i'm, I'm no expert i'm no expert in f1 i'm certainly no expert in f2 um but it's cool you'll you'll get to know these drivers um they don't stick around as long you're it's it is more of a feeder series so like you kind of either make it or you don't so that's why it's interesting to look at people like Guan Yu Zhou this year um so yeah but it's it's great and the racing is fun you know they 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 bounce into each other and there's a lot of cars on track too so it's good i i I enjoy checking it out nice yeah and again if you want to watch uh all of that it is on the full stuff is on f1 tv uh and the formula one youtube channel has um good highlights yeah it's cool you know it'll help tide you over when there's a big lull like this (laughs) uh i might have to dip into that back catalog uh all right should we take it to some emails yeah, shiftf1podcast at gmail.com or f1.cool slash emails. Uh, Drew, you want to read this first one from Mike in yes. Tucson? Mike from Tucson says, Did you see that the winner's trophy for the Bristol NASCAR race is a gladiator sword? <laughs> Apparently it has been this even prior to the special dirt race. Uh, I found this when I was looking for replay info on the race and saw the headline, Joey Logano says he celebrated Bristol dirt race win by chopping things with his gladiator sword trophy. And sure enough, Mike links to an Instagram video uh, of Logano showing how useful his sword trophy has been around the house. Um, He's (laughs) trimming hedges, uh, opening soda cans, uh, and chopping bananas. It's very good. And the sword, it looks, number one, very cool. It looks like, uh, you know, you're um your your 300 sword very sort of ancient uh warrior looking thing russell crowe oh yeah you're you're are you not entertained Mm -hmm. um and it's very sharp like he's cutting (laughs) you know cutting grass and, and pieces of paper with it so uh yes more more weird trophies more senna holding sonic the hedgehog um <laughs> i forgot about that <laughs> yeah i'm in i'm into this thank you mike um what are our thoughts on the bristol dirt race i caught whiffs of it over the weekend uh the the tragic raining out that happened the 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 nightmare on friday where it's just like the whole thing was like a sludge wall that nobody could get any grip on i mean I liked it a lot as an event. I thought it was really cool. I think watching the different dynamics of the race. Now, admittedly, I am so far out of the loop on NASCAR that I was someone who was like, what? They have, like, competition pauses now? And, like, the races unfold in stages? All of this is new to me. Um, (laughs) Because back when I cared about NASCAR at all, it was, we're just going to run these guys in a circle for 500 miles. Uh, At the end, uh, mercifully... Uh, someone will win. And (laughs) so they've done a lot of good things to already artificially, I think, sort of compact the field and have a lot of meaningful racing happening at any given moment. Um, Because that was always the flaw with NASCAR, where, like, it's a 250-lap race, and the last 20 are kind of what matter. It takes a lot of the wind out of the sails of those those middle, like, 170 laps. (laughs) 
<laughs> so they've kind of solved that. Uh, I think with the dirt track racing, I think it made the racing even like more fun in some ways. The fact that like I, I enjoyed watching some of these dudes realize that like to deal with the overheating issues because your um, air intakes were getting clogged and fouled with the mud. <laughs> <laughs> they would tap each other to sort of like bash the dirt off their grill. Oh my um, god! And bring those temperatures back down. And so you had wow. guys like getting real good at drifting around the corners and sort of ending that with a quick slap of the front fender into the back of someone else's, and then uh, taking off. It was cool. I liked it a lot. I think the I think they got to find a place where they can more reliably not get rained out. Um, I think right. like late winter, early spring is probably dicey. Um, but yeah, like I think aside from the issues they had with the weather, I think it was actually a pretty good event for my money. Yeah, I, I just caught some uh, some Twitter videos and it looked as gimmicks go. It looked like a pretty good one. <laughs> um, Rob, you want to take this next email from Pasco? Yeah. Hello, my racy boyos. I think we can all agree that the traditional Australian GP season opener has been a bit of a dud for at least a decade of its two-decade-long run. It sits in especially stark contrast given last season's Austrian GP and this season's fantastic Bahrain GP. The Albert Park track has always been difficult to overtake at, and that's only gotten worse as the cars have gotten bigger and more aerodependent. Good news that then that they're fully resurfacing and remodeling it this year. Uh, and Posco links to a couple of articles and a video of some of the resurfacing work, including some course layout changes. What do you think of the changes? It will certainly be a much faster circuit with many tight chicanes outright removed or heavily re- reprofiled. And the T13 changes seem interesting in terms of promoting multiple racing lines through a much wider corner. Personally, I have my doubts, but it's always nice to see a new circuit. Keep casting those pods, Bosco. Uh, so there, there are a number of changes here. Uh, probably the big one is the removal of the uh, like quick chicane at turn nine that sets up the yeah. fast, uh, like flat out left hander. Uh, that's a pretty major change. Race fans has a big breakdown of. Uh, of the various edits they're making uh, team thir- uh, turn 13, they have widened considerably. Uh, so turn 13 is let's see. So after you finish the big sweeper that goes through 10 and 11, you have that quick kink at 12, all of this taken nearly flat. It's a real gut check moment. Turn 13 is what ends that fast section of the racetrack. It's the, it's hard at the end right of the DRS zone. Up. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it sets up the two sharp right-handers that sort of lead to the final uh, twisting turns. Um, it's a bit Lesmos-like, I would say, much slower and much more of a hard stop to the flow. That might yeah. be real different now that like turn 13 has been widened by 3.5 meters. Um, looking at these pictures of the track under construction, that is a very different-looking corner uh, than it's been. But I think I'm with Pasco. Like I think there's tough things to fix about Albert Park. Yeah, it's the, a lot of the changes are look like they're pretty small. Like they've widened turn one, turn three, turn I guess six and seven is it's that really weird sort of. Uh, it's like a it's it was a pretty harsh braking zone um, as you come out of the foresty bit, kind of at the end of sector one. Like I feel like that might be a big change because it'll turn turn eight into a corner you might actually have to slow down for rather than speed through and then yeah turn nine and ten is crazy that's like that's the big change that's sort of the only change it's going to shave five seconds off the lap time they're saying yeah it's wild that they're removing a chicane that's the weirdest part to me because usually you add a chicane to a an old track to to slow it down because the cars are getting too fast um so yeah that's that's wild apparently ricardo is on board he is given a thumbs up, I think. So uh, um, he probably got paid in champagne or beer. Or something. He's got his own beer, wine, or sorry, was it wine? <laughs> yeah, he's been hawking wine. wine. Deal. Well, yeah, like- I wonder about thirteen because it is that you're. It is that's a pretty decent dead-on DRS overtaking point. So I do wonder, like, does that create? If it's wider, does that mean that there's multiple lines for somebody to sort of cut back in? 
I don't know. The- also, they've uh, turn fifteen is one of the most awkward turns in F one. I hate turn like. fifteen. That, yeah, like you cannot imagine because <laughs> it's it's more than like it's not quite a hairpin, but the turn does turn back on itself. It is way more than so you think. slow. Yeah, yeah. So, and there's no so room wonder- for error because you got another turn immediately right after. <laughs> you know, right. the, the pit lane entry is also there as well so people get a little bit uh, fuzzy so yeah they've opened the apex on that a little bit so interesting also to be honest the biggest change here is probably the new surface like i do wonder what effect that will have once we get around to to racing there but it's pretty cool apparently it's opening up some um public land as well that was previously um inaccessible to folks and uh they're putting in new stands as well so Maybe a better viewing experience. Hopefully it'll have fans in it later this year. Uh, I got an email from Nick uh, to round things off here. Um, Nick says, last week you discussed maybe talking about the Bristol Dirt Race since you've got some time to kill before Imola. Well, if you need something to kill some time, allow me to introduce you to the 24 hours of Le Mans. When's the last time we talked about this, boys? I feel like it's been a few years. Of, of lemons? Of uh, lemons. Yeah. Um, I, I remember wanting to do this back in yes. the giant bomb days like have our own we, we should describe what it is first but yeah so uh, the race is the pinnacle of endurance racing for cars that cost five hundred dollars or less <laughs> your average joe can participate all you need is a car that costs less than five hundred dollars and a valid driver's license budget cap extensions are granted for safety measures and cosmetics which allows some teams to create some fantastic liveries such as the upside down car the fu hall or the garbage truck Another fun quirk is that some of the penalties applied, such as why am I upside down penalty? Uh, this occurs when your car flips over for any reason and results in a 12-month ban for the car at fault. Minor penalties do exist, but throughout the power of bribery, you can avoid them. The race selects a charity every year, and by making a donation mid-race, the stewards will withdraw the penalty <laughs> placed against you. <laughs> so just like F1. Um, The series itself lends itself to some semi-serious but fully hilarious uh, racing. If you get the chance, check it out. Link to their site below. So I did have a little peruse around the 24 hours of Lemons um, uh, website. And also have a YouTube channel, which has only... It hasn't got that many uh, subs on it, but they do some pretty great videos about people putting together cars. So... Yeah, they are still racing too. They've 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 got COVID protocol apparently. Um, they have uh, the websites full of uh, the various places they're racing, and all their races, of course, are like puns and plays on uh, racing movies and and stuff like that. So it seems like a seems like a lot of fun. Awesome. I'll put links Look to at that. The in pictures the showcasing. No way to these cars. Like they might, there might be, there might be a deed that shows you paid five hundred for the car, but like there's a lot of pieces of shit you can buy for five hundred dollars and then turn into credible cars. Right. It looks like maybe some folks are like five hundred sticker price, thousands in upgrades. Because uh, there's some, there's some nice looking cars uh, that I'm seeing in this gallery. Well, I like how the yeah the you can yeah you can add as much as you want in terms of the the livery sort of the cosmetics of it there's one here that looks like a i think that's the garbage truck it kind of looks like a lawnmower as well um there's a barbie one here uh i imagine the, the safety Ken. the safety stuff is probably going to cost you a pretty penny like you i think yeah. you got to put in like a five-point harness and a roll cage and yeah it's thousands right yeah yeah but i like the the, the mentality behind it yeah oh yeah it's fun awesome yeah uh, yeah, thanks for that, Nick. Any any excuse to talk about lemons? Well, uh, yeah, if you want to email us, it's shiftf1podcast at gmail.com or the website f1.cool slash emails. We are also on Twitter at shiftf1podcast. I'm at Drew Scanlon. That is at Danny O'Dwyer and at Rob Zachney. That is us around the internet. Should we take it around the world, Danny? Let's race around the world. Yeah. Uh, well, the... The NASCAR continues. We got uh, an Xfinity race here this weekend at uh, the Martinsville Speedway for the Cookout 250. Woo! Um, the Formula E Rome E Prix is mm. this weekend, and it looks like a two-parter, number one and number two, on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, Super GT is at the Okoyama International Circuit in uh, 
Mima Sakashi, Okoyama Prefecture, Japan. Love it. And we got your regular old NASCAR. Oh my. No also, more dirt. Nope. Get that dirt out of here in Martinsville. Clean uh, out your tailpipes. Racing the paper clip. Yep. I'm actually going to watch this one. Yeah, you're going to watch the uh, the Blue Emu Maximum Pain Relief 500. <laughs> well, I think we all remember my excitement and fascination for the Blue Emu brand mm-hmm. uh, and its whole its whole deal. Um, but also, so Martinsville looks like a weird oval. Um, very like it's called paperclip because it, it basically describes a paperclip. So it's like long straights really tight like single mm. uh apex uh loops at the end and so i'm kind of curious again like bristol was weird this also looks weird i'm i kind of got to know how it's gonna work it looks like you're trying to have a nascar race can i help you with that <laughs> <laughs> it's an advertising opportunity for you nascar uh yeah so I don't know. There's something if you want to watch. Formula E is... Uh, I think you still have to have a VPN for that. Boy, mm. if you're a race fan, VPN... There should be a racing-only VPN. I feel like there's a, a real market out there for race fans. You know, we don't do ads on this podcast because we're funded by Patreon, but we're pretty close to... Be, we're just like endemic advertising for VPNs. I mean, just we haven't mentioned anyone of, in particular. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's just like... I but should say true. if you're gonna if you're gonna VPN, you should pay for one because the free ones just suck up all your internet traffic and that's not good. Don't load your computer with Yeah. Don't do a free VPN. Something. Yeah. It's uh it's better than it was. It's better than it was. Remember like seasons ago where we talk about man, wouldn't it be great if it's just like like the MotoGP TV thing, but F one. So at least we have that. And they have been, you know, we talked about it last week. <clears throat> Sorry, excuse me. Um, but they they did they have been doing a lot more, um, interesting programming on F1 TV. Like they have a they have their own pre race now instead of just, you know, a feed with no audio basically for twenty minutes before the race starts. And they have a post show and, but they're really pushing Will Buxton, I guess, for all this sort of stuff. Um, and they have a good support cast as well. So, uh, it's cool. It's cool to see them adding to it. Will is fine, yeah. but I feel like we could stop trying to make Will happen quite so much. <laughs> yeah, he's... Uh, uh, do we have enough Will now? Is that what you're saying? Are we peak Will? I think we're, yeah. We're peak Will? Okay. Uh, well, final thoughts, Danny? Um, This weekend, I'm, I'm going to watch probably the Formula E. So yeah, that's what that's all about. Never heard of it. Sounds weird. Is it like the... It's like the... Extreme E, but less extreme. Is that what we're saying? Right. Yeah. Less, cool. less dust. Yeah. Uh, Rob Zachney. I don't think we've hit the limits on Karoon, though. I feel oh, like yeah. there's more mm. room for Karoon. There's solid Karoon at the the formula or the Extreme yeah. E broadcast. Yeah. Lawrence Barreto also isn't he part of the, the F1 yeah. TV broadcast team? He's awesome. His shoes are rad. Yeah. He's got good shoes. Well, if you'd like to support this show and get access to all of our bonus episodes, you can do so over at patreon.com slash shift F1. Have a good race weekend, everyone. We will see you all next week. Meow.